Good evening. I'm Adrian Sala, and you're listening to Wikisleep. Tonight, I'm reading the final installment in our first Wikisleep nightly series, in which I read part of a book in sequence each night until it's completed. It's sort of like smaller, bite-sized sections of an audiobook, designed to lull you into sleep. If you've been following along via the podcast, you'll know that there is an ad at the beginning and end of each episode. I fully appreciate that this isn't the best experience, but there are ways around it. First, you can simply scroll forward about three minutes for any episode, then set a timer on your podcast player to have the episode stop before the end which is where the second and final ad break is. The other option is go to wikisleep.com and download the app, which is entirely ad-free. It comes with a lengthy free trial so you can test it out and more sleep support like meditations, ambient sounds, white noise, and other fun features. It costs about a buck fifty a week for full access, and over the next several months, we'll continue to evolve to include more exclusive and fun sleep content. I hope you enjoy this final installment of The Metamorphosis by Franz Kafka. And as ever, I recommend taking a few long, deep breaths as you settle in. Get comfortable in whatever way works best for you and allow yourself to sink into the story. Throughout all this time, Gregor could not remember having heard the violin being played but this evening it began to be heard from the kitchen. The three gentlemen had already finished their meal. The one in the middle had produced a newspaper, given a page to each of the others, and now they leant back in their chairs reading and smoking. While the violin began playing, they became attentive, stood up and went on tiptoe over to the door of the hallway, where they stood pressed against each other. Someone must have heard them in the kitchen, as Gregor's father called out, Is the playing perhaps unpleasant for the gentleman? We can stop it straight away. On the contrary, said the middle gentleman, Would the young lady not like to come in and play for us here in the room, where it is, after all, much more cozy and comfortable? Oh yes, we'd love to, called back Gregor's father as if he had been the violin player himself. The gentleman stepped back into the room and waited. Gregor's father soon appeared with the music stand, his mother with the music, and his sister with the violin. 
she calmly prepared everything for her to begin playing. His parents, who had never rented a room out before and therefore showed an exaggerated courtesy toward the three gentlemen, did not even dare to sit on their own chairs. His father leant against the door with his right hand pushed in between two buttons on his uniform coat. His mother, though, was offered a seat by one of the gentlemen and sat, leaving the chair where the gentleman happened to have placed it out of the way in a corner. His sister began to play. Father and mother paid close attention, one on each side, to the movement of her hands. Drawn in by the playing, Gregor had dared to come forward a little and already had his head in the living room. Before, he had taken great pride in how considerate he was, but now it hardly occurred to him that he had become so thoughtless about the others. What's more, there was now all the more reason to keep himself hidden as he was covered in the dust that lay everywhere in his room and flew up at the slightest movement. He carried threads, hairs, and remains of food about on his back and sides, and he was much too indifferent to everything now to lay on his back and wipe himself on the carpet like he had used to do several times a day. And despite his condition, he was not too shy to move forward a little onto the immaculate floor of the living room. No one noticed him, though. The family was totally preoccupied with the violin playing. At first, the three gentlemen had put their hands in their pockets and come up far too close behind the music stand to look at all the notes being played. And they must have disturbed Gregor's sister, but soon, in contrast with the family, they withdrew back to the window with their heads sunk and talking to each other at half volume. And they stayed by the window while Gregor's father observed them anxiously. It really now seemed very obvious that they had expected to hear some beautiful or entertaining violin playing, but had been disappointed that they had had enough of the whole performance, and it was only now, out of politeness, that they allowed their peace to be disturbed. It was especially unnerving the way they all blew the smoke from their cigarettes upward from their mouth and noses. Yet Gregor's sister was playing so beautifully. Her face was lent to one side, following the lines of music with a careful and melancholy expression. Gregor crawled a little further forward, keeping his head close to the ground so that he could meet her eyes if the chance came. Was he an animal if music could captivate him so? It seemed to him that he was being shown the way to the unknown nourishment he had been yearning for. He was determined to make his way forward to his sister 
and tug at her skirt to show her she might come into his room with her violin. As no one appreciated her playing here as much as he would. He never wanted to let her out of his room, not while he lived anyway. His shocking appearance should, for once, be of use to him. He wanted to be at every door of his room at once to hiss and spit at the attackers. His sister should not be forced to stay with him, though, but stay of her own free will. She would sit beside him on the couch, with her ear bent down to him, while he told her how he had always intended to send her to the conservatory. How he would have told everyone about it last Christmas. Had Christmas really come and gone already? If this misfortune hadn't gotten away, and refused to let everyone dissuade him from it. On hearing all this, his sister would break out in tears of emotion, and Gregor would climb up to her shoulder and kiss her neck, which, since she had been going out to work, she had kept free without any necklace or collar. Mr. Samsa, shouted the metal gentleman to Gregor's father, pointing, without wasting any more words, with his forefinger at Gregor as he slowly moved forward. The violin went silent. The middle of the three gentlemen first smiled at his two friends, shaking his head, and then looked back at Gregor. His father seemed to think it more important to calm the three gentlemen before driving Gregor out, even though they were not at all upset and seemed to think Gregor was more entertaining than the violin playing had been. He rushed up to them with his arms spread out and attempted to drive them back into their rooms at the same time as trying to block their view of Gregor with his body. Now, they did become a little annoyed. It was not clear whether it was his father's behavior that annoyed them, or the dawning realization that they had had a neighbor like Gregor in the next room without knowing it. They asked Gregor's father for explanations, raised their arms like he had, tugged excitedly at their beards, and moved back toward their room only very slowly. Meanwhile, Gregor's sister had overcome the despair she had fallen into when her playing was suddenly interrupted. She had let her hands drop and let violin and bow hang limply for a while, but continued to look at the music as if still playing. But then, she suddenly pulled herself together, lay the instrument on her mother's lap, who was still sat laboriously struggling for breath where she was, and ran into the next room, which, under pressure from her father, the three gentlemen were more quickly moving toward. Under his sister's experienced hand, the pillows and covers on the bed flew up, and were put into order, and she had already finished making the beds and slipped out again before the three gentlemen had reached the room. 
Gregor's father seemed so obsessed with what he was doing that he forgot all the respect he owed to his tenants. He urged them and pressed them until, when he was already at the door of the room, the middle of the three gentlemen shouted like thunder and stamped his foot and thereby brought Gregor's father to a halt. I declare, here and now, he said, raising his hand and glancing at Gregor's mother and sister to gain their attention too. That with regard to the repugnant conditions that prevail in this flat and with this family, here he looked briefly but decisively at the floor, I give immediate notice on my room. For the days that I have been living here I will, of course, pay nothing at all. On the contrary, I will consider whether to proceed with some kind of action for damages from you. And believe me, it would be very easy to set out the grounds for such an action. He was silent and looked straight ahead as if waiting for something, and indeed his two friends joined in with the words. And we also give immediate notice. With that, he took hold of the door handle and slammed the door. Gregor's father staggered back to his seat, feeling his way with his hands and fell into it. It looked as if he was stretching himself out for his usual evening nap, but from the uncontrolled way his head kept nodding, it could be seen that he was not sleeping at all. Throughout all this, Gregor had lain still, where the three gentlemen had first seen him. His disappointment at the failure of his plan and perhaps also because he was weak from hunger, made it impossible for him to move. He was sure that everyone would turn on him at any moment, and he waited. He was not even startled out of this state when the violin on his mother's lap fell from her trembling fingers and landed loudly on the floor. Father, mother, said his sister, hitting the table with her hands as introduction. We can't carry on like this. Maybe you can't see it, but I can. I don't want to call this monster my brother. All I can say is we have to try and get rid of it. We've done all that's humanly possible to look after it and be patient. I don't think anyone could accuse us of doing anything wrong. She's absolutely right, said Gregor's father to himself. His mother, who'd still not had time to catch her breath, began to cough dully, her hand held out in front of her, and a deranged expression in her eye. Gregor's sister rushed to his mother and put her hand on her forehead. Her words seemed to give Gregor's father some more definite ideas. He sat upright, 
laid with his uniform cap between the plates left there by three gentlemen after their meal, and occasionally looked down at Gregor as he lay there immobile. We have to try to get rid of it, said Gregor's sister, now speaking only to her father, as her mother was too occupied with coughing to listen. It'll be the death of you both, I can see it coming. We can't all work as hard as we have to, and then come home to be tortured like this. We can't endure it. I can't endure it anymore. And she broke out so heavily in tears that they flowed down the face of her mother, and she wiped them away with mechanical hand movements. My child, said his father with sympathy and obvious understanding, what are we to do? His sister just shrugged her shoulders as a sign of the helplessness and tears that had taken hold of her, displacing her earlier certainty. If he could just understand us, said his father almost as a question. His sister shook her hand vigorously through her tears as a sign that of that there was no question. If he could just understand us, repeated Gregor's father, closing his eyes in acceptance of his sister's certainty that that was quite impossible. Then perhaps we could come to some kind of arrangement with him. But as it is, it's got to go, shouted his sister. That's the only way, father. You've got to get rid of the idea that that's Gregor. We've only harmed ourselves by believing it for so long. How can that be, Gregor? If it were Gregor, he would have seen long ago that it's not possible for human beings to live with an animal like that, and he would have gone of his own free will. We wouldn't have a brother anymore then, but we could carry on with our lives and remember him with respect. As it is, this animal is persecuting us. It's driving out our tenants. It obviously wants to take over the whole flat and force us to sleep on the streets. Father, look, just look. She suddenly screamed. He's starting again. In her alarm, which was totally beyond Gregor's comprehension, his sister even abandoned his mother as she pulled herself vigorously out of her chair, as if more willing to sacrifice her own mother than stay anywhere near Gregor. She rushed over to behind her father, who had become excited merely because she was, and stood up half raising his hands in front of Gregor's sister as if to protect her. Gregor had no intention of frightening anyone, least of all his sister. All he had done was begin to turn round so that he could go back to his room, although that was in itself quite startling, as his pain-racked condition meant that turning round required a great deal of effort, 
and he was using his head to help himself to it, repeatedly raising it and striking it against the floor. He stopped and looked round. They seemed to have realized his good intention and had only been alarmed briefly. Now, they all looked at him in unhappy silence. His mother lay in her chair with her legs stretched out and pressed against each other, her eyes nearly closed with exhaustion. His sister sat next to his father with her arms around his neck. Maybe now they'll let me turn round, thought Gregor, and went back to work. He could not help panting loudly with the effort, and sometimes had to stop and take a rest. No one was making him rush anymore. Everything was left up to him. As soon as he had finally finished turning round, he began to move straight ahead. He was amazed at the great distance that separated him from his room, and could not understand how he had covered that distance in his weak state a little while before and almost without noticing it. He concentrated on crawling as fast as he could and hardly noticed that there was not a word, not any cry from his family to distract him. He did not turn his head until he reached the doorway. He did not turn it all the way round as he felt his neck becoming stiff. But it was nonetheless enough to see that nothing behind him had changed. Only his sister had stood up. With his last glance, he saw that his mother had now fallen completely asleep. He was hardly inside his room before the door was hurriedly shut, bolted, and locked. The sudden noise behind Gregor so startled him that his little legs collapsed under him. It was his sister who had been in so much of a rush. She had been standing there waiting and sprung forward lightly. Gregor had not heard her coming at all, and as she turned the key in the lock, she said loudly to her parents, At last. What now, then? Gregor asked himself as he looked round in the darkness. He soon made the discovery that he could no longer move at all. This was no surprise to him. It seemed rather that being able to actually move around on those spindly little legs until then was unnatural. He also felt relatively comfortable. It is true that his entire body was aching, but the pain seemed to be slowly getting weaker and weaker and would finally disappear altogether. 
He could already hardly feel the decayed apple in his back or the inflamed area around it, which was entirely covered in white dust. He thought back of his family with emotion and love. If it was possible, he felt that he must go away even more strongly than his sister. He remained in this state of empty and peaceful rumination until he heard the clock tower strike three in the morning. He watched as it slowly began to get light everywhere outside the window, too. Then, without his willing it, his head sunk down completely, and his last breath flowed weakly from his nostrils. When the cleaner came in early in the morning, They'd often asked her not to keep slamming the doors, but with her strength and in her hurry she still did, so that everyone in the flat knew when she'd arrived, and from then on it was impossible to sleep in peace. She made her usual brief look in on Gregor, and at first found nothing special. She thought he was laying there so still on purpose, playing the martyr, she happened to be holding a long broom in her hand, so she tried to tickle Gregor with it from the doorway. When she had no success with that, she tried to make a nuisance of herself and poked at him a little. And only when she found that she could shove him across the floor with no resistance at all did she start to pay attention. She soon realized what had really happened, opened her eyes wide, whistled to herself, but did not waste time to yank open the bedroom doors and shout loudly into the darkness of the bedrooms. Come and have a look at this, it's dead, just lying there stone dead. Mr. and Mrs. Samsa sat upright in their marriage bed and had to make an effort to get over the shock caused by the cleaner before they could grasp what she was saying. Then, each from his own side, they hurried out of bed. Mr. Samsa threw the blanket over his shoulders. Miss Samsa came out in her nightdress. And that is how they went into Gregor's room. On the way, they opened the door to the living room, where Greed had been sleeping since the three gentlemen had moved in. She was fully dressed, as if she had never been asleep, and the paleness of her face seemed to confirm this. Dead? asked Miss Samsa, looking at the charwoman inquiringly. Even though she could have checked for herself and could have known it, even without checking. That's what I said, replied the cleaner, and to prove it she gave Gregor's body another shove with the broom, sending it sideways across the floor. 
Miss Sansa made a movement as if she wanted to hold back the broom, but did not complete it. Now then, said Mr. Sansa, let's give thanks to God for that. He crossed himself, and the three women followed his example. Greed, who had not taken her eyes from the corpse, said, Just look how thin he was. He didn't eat anything for so long. The food came out again just the same as it went in. Gregor's body was indeed completely dried up and flat, and they had not seen it until then, but now he was not lifted up on his little legs, nor did he do anything to make them look away. Come with us in here for a little while, said Miss Samsa with a pained smile, and grief followed her parents into the bedroom, but not without looking back at the body. The cleaner shut the door and opened the window wide. Although it was still early in the morning, the fresh air had something of a warmth mixed in with it. It was already the end of March, after all. The three gentlemen stepped out of their room and looked round in amazement for their breakfasts. They had been forgotten about. Where's our breakfast? The middle gentleman asked the cleaner irritably. She just put her finger on her lips and made a quick and silent sign to the men that they might like to come into Gregor's room. They did so and stood around Gregor's corpse with their hands in their pockets of their well-worn coats. It was now quite light in the room. Then the door of the bedroom opened, and Mr. Samsa appeared in his uniform, with his wife on one arm and his daughter on the other. All of them had been crying a little. Greet now and then pressed her face against her father's arm. Leave my home, now, said Mr. Samsa, indicating the door without letting the women from him. What do you mean? asked the middle of the three gentlemen, somewhat disconcerted, as he smiled sweetly. The other two held their hands behind their backs and continually rubbed them together in gleeful anticipation of a loud quarrel, which could only end in their favor. I mean just what I said, answered Mr. Samsa, and, with his two companions, went in a straight line towards the man. At first, he stood there still, looking at the ground as if the contents of his head were rearranging themselves in new positions. All right, we'll go then, he said, and looked up at Mr. Samsa as if he had been suddenly overcome with humility and wanted permission again from Mr. Samsa for his decision. 
Mr. Samsa merely opened his eyes wide and briefly nodded to him several times. At that, and without delay, the man actually did take long strides into the front hallway. His two friends had stopped rubbing their hands some time before and had been listening to what was being said. Now they jumped off after their friend as if taken with a sudden fear that Mr. Samsa might go into the hallway in front of them and break the connection with their leader. Once there, all three took their hats from the stand, took their sticks from the holder, bowed without a word, and left the premises. Mr. Samsa and the two women followed them out onto the landing. But they had no reason to mistrust the men's intentions, and as they leaned over the landing they saw how the three gentlemen made slow but steady progress down the many steps. As they turned the corner on each floor, they disappeared and would reappear a few moments later. The further down they went, the more that the Samsa family lost interest in them. When a butcher's boy proud of posture with his tray on his head, passed them on his way up and came nearer than they were. Mr. Samsa and the woman came away from the landing and went, as if relieved, back into the flat. They decided the best way to make use of that day was for relaxation and to go for a walk. Not only had they earned a break from work, but they were in serious need of it. So they sat at the table and wrote three letters of excusal. Mr. Samsa to his employers, Miss Samsa to her contractor, and Greed to her principal. The cleaner came in while they were writing to tell them she was going. She'd finished her work for that morning. The three of them at first just nodded without looking up from what they were writing, and it was only when the cleaner still did not seem to want to leave that they looked up in irritation. Well, asked Mr. Samsa. Charwoman stood in the doorway with a smile on her face, as if she had some tremendous good news to report, but would only do it if she was clearly asked to. The almost vertical little ostrich feather on her hat, which had been a source of irritation to Mr. Samsa all the time she had been working for them, swayed gently in all directions. What is it you want, then? asked Miss Samsa, whom the cleaner had the most respect for. Yes, she answered, and broke into a friendly laugh that made her unable to speak straight away. Well then, that thing in there, you needn't worry about how you're going to get rid of it. That's all been sorted out. 
Miss Sansa and Greed bent down over their letters as if intent on continuing with what they were writing. Mr. Samsa saw that the cleaner wanted to start describing everything in detail, but with outstretched hand, he made it quite clear that she was not to. So, as she was prevented from telling them all about it, she suddenly remembered what a hurry she was in and, clearly peeved, called out. Cheerio then, everyone, turned around sharply and left, slamming the door terribly as she went. Tonight she gets sacked, said Mr. Sansa but he received no reply from either his wife or his daughter as the charwoman seemed to have destroyed the peace they had only just gained. They got up and went over to the window, where they remained with their arms around each other. Mr. Samsa twisted round in his chair to look at them and sat there watching for a while. Then he called out, Come here then, let's forget all about that old stuff, shall we? Come and give me a bit of attention. The two women immediately did as he said, hurrying over to him where they kissed him and hugged him, and they quickly finished their letters. After that, the three of them left the flat together, which was something they had not done for months, and took the tram out to the open country outside of the town. They had the tram, filled with warm sunshine all to themselves. Went back comfortably on their seats, they discussed their prospects and found that on closer examination they were not all bad. Until then, they had never asked each other about their work, but all three had jobs which were very good and held particularly good promise for the future. The greatest improvement for the time being, of course, would be achieved quite easily by moving house. What they needed now was a flat that was smaller and cheaper than the current one which had been chosen by Gregor. One that was in a better location and most of all, more practical. All the time, Greet was becoming livelier. With all the worry they had been having of late, her cheeks had become pale, but while they were talking, Mr. and Mrs. Samsa were struck almost simultaneously with the thought of how their daughter was blossoming into a well-built and beautiful young lady. They became quieter. Just from each other's glance and almost without knowing it, they agreed that it would soon be time to find a good man for her. And, as if in confirmation of their new dreams and good intentions, as soon as they reached their destination, Greed was the first to get up and stretch out her young body. 